This episode is sponsored by Audible. You can get a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash mothergood. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash mothergood. I know that there's a lot of Audible affiliate links out there, and we really ask you to use Mother Goods because up until now, all of the cost of running Mother Good has come from out of our pockets. And in order for this to be a long-term project of ours, this is a labor of love and we're not doing it for the money. We just really want to provide you quality content. So if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you really want it to continue, just use our affiliate link for Audible. It doesn't cost a dime to you, but it does provide us with some monetary benefit just so we can keep up with the monthly costs of running the podcast and everything else that comes along with mother good so we really appreciate it thank you you are listening to the mother good podcast episode number 12 today i chat with workplace civil rights attorney working parent advocate and freelance writer candace alnaji about supporting parents both at work and at home. First, we talk about what parents' rights are in the workplace when it comes to maternity or paternity leave, pumping at work, or workplace accommodation. There is so much misunderstanding and misconception and also just a cloud of mystery surrounding what exactly our rights are when it comes to being a working parent. Now, now some of your rights may vary based on the state that you live in, but in this episode, Candace discusses just the basic federal rights that you may have when at work. While she does not give legal advice, she gives basic information in this episode so that you are empowered with the baseline rights that you may have at work. Second, we talk about just how and why our society needs to do a better job of supporting parents, both working and stay at home and just parents in general, and why the mantra of being able to do it all can actually be very harmful to both moms and dads. I'm not sure why in America it's our history and our culture just to be so individualistic. And as a result, it seems like super moms and even super dads are held as a gold standard of parenting, when in reality that's detrimental to our well-being. In this episode, we talk about how we are all human and at the basis of humanity, we all thrive the best when we are in a good community who supports us. And so we chat a little bit about that as well. Finally, Candace, also known as the mom at law on social media and on her blog, talks about what it's like to be a mom to twins and how she's allowed her career to change and evolve over the years as a mom, depending on what her feelings and needs have been at that time, which I find really inspiring because seems like there's a lot of pressure to decide as a mom whether or not you're going to be a full-time working mom, if you're going to work from home, or if you're going to be a full-time stay-at-home mom or work part-time. And it seems like there's so much pressure to have to decide what you're going to do and stick with that. And that's one thing that I like about Candace's career path and story is that she's just allowed her career situation to change and evolve over time based on her needs. So if you're a working parent and want to know more about what your rights may be in the workplace, or you want to know how society in general can better support parents, then this episode is for you. So without further ado, here's our amazing conversation with Candace. Welcome to Mother Good, where we strongly believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. I'm your host, Emily Carney, and I'm so happy that you are here. Our conversations are positive, practical, authentic, and judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. If you are looking for a meaningful motherhood community and ready to thrive, not just survive, you are in the right place. 
Hi, Candice. Welcome to the show. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for being on our show. I'm I'm so excited to finally meet you, even if it's just over audio. I know I've followed your account, The Mom at Law, so many for I think a couple years now, and you're definitely one of my favorite accounts. So I'm really excited. Could you tell us a bit about who you are? Yes. So I am, as my name um, reveals, a mom and a lawyer, and I've been in a writer, and so I've been in practice. Um, legal practice for about almost six years now. And I've been a mom for almost five years. And I've been writing for about four years And my blog and my social accounts are now about two years old. So it's a kind of like a nice little succession there for how long I've been <laughs> doing these things. But that about um, sums me up. I have, uh, you know, a wife to a really great guy who also happens to be a physician. And together, you know, we're balancing our careers and our kids and just, you know, trying to do the best that we can. I love that. So could you tell us a, a little bit about some milestones that happened in your life to get you where you are today? Uh, one thing that first drew me to your account, you know, besides the obvious humor, since you're so hilarious, and I just laugh every single time <laughs> I see one of your posts. You. Um, but I just love how honest and open you are about the struggles of being a working mom and having a demanding career. So I was wondering if there are any particular milestones that happened in your life that kind of gives you that background to have an account to give that kind of advice. Right. So I guess I would say, you know, um, being the type of lawyer that I am kind of um, informs a lot of my opinions. So for those who you know don't know, I practice employment discrimination law. And that's something I became interested in, I would say before law school, actually, but it was really during law school when I first kind of got to handle um, employment discrimination cases. And it was something that really interested me. And during law school, I focused on employment law. And after graduating, my first job out of law school was with a boutique firm practicing plaintiff side employment discrimination law. And that's something I continue to do today. So becoming a mom kind of really, um, it just kind of fit, slid in, like the role kind of slid in well to my existing personal, professional interests in it, identity, I guess. Um, even though there were many challenges that came. I, you know, I felt like I was kind of uniting these different pieces of me because in my job, I do a lot of protecting of, you know, working mothers, um, their rights in the workplace, you know, during pregnancy, when they're pumping, things like that. And so um, all of those kind of facets of me were there. And then in what I do now, you know, as the mom at law, on my blog and on social media, it just kind of like the background is kind of in place. And I wouldn't call myself an expert. And as an attorney, I can't really do that anyway. (laughs) But I would say that it does help inform the discussions that I, I, you know, um, begin and can, you know, engage in. Definitely. Yeah. And we would like to offer that disclaimer too that our discussion today that Candace is not giving legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Always, always, attorneys always are concerned with that, of course. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. And I was wondering what your adjustment was like becoming a working parent. Um, I don't know how you felt about the transition, but at least for me, I didn't really think there would be much of a transition or it wouldn't be as difficult as it has been. You know, I guess that was just me being naive, you know, going from being single, single, yeah, single, and then married with a kid. Uh, so how, how was that transition for you? 
I'd say like it was definitely challenging. I mean, I've had a, I had a lot of support, you know, as I've, I've written and I've talked about this publicly. I have, you know, my employer is incredible. She has accommodated me at every turn. And, you know, I've had just so much support at home from my husband and our families and my boss. And yet, I still struggled, you know, a lot at various points, um, you know, not all right away, but definitely, you know, at different points in my career as a mom and a lawyer, I have struggled, you know, to, to balance the two in my heart, I guess I would say, you know, juggling my responsibilities. And I've had to pivot and shift and make different choices at different points just to accommodate my feelings and desires and goals as they've changed. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I think I read an article of yours, how you were saying that you initially were or you went back to work and then you you took a step back and then worked from home. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about the evolution of career so far? Yeah. So when I, when my first son was born, you know, I was working full time as an associate attorney in the firm and I took four months off and it was a great four months. And, um, you know, my leave was fully paid and I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of the, the concerns that so many Americans unfortunately have with respect to, you know, how, how I was going to afford to take the time and whether I would be rushing back to the workplace. It felt like a good amount of time. That said, I still struggled, you know, leaving him that first day leading up to going back to work, you know, my, during my leave. And especially that month before I, you know, I cried a lot and it was just really hard for me because I did, I really felt a pull to be with my son a bit. And when I returned, I, I did work from home one day a week, with him and the remaining days, you know, I'd spend in the office. And then over time, that kind of changed a little just based on the childcare arrangement we had with my mother-in-law, who then eventually went back to work. And then my son started um, part-time daycare. And so like I adjusted my schedule again because I wanted to be, you know, home with him a couple extra days. And so there were these different shifts that occurred. And in 2017, when my son was, you know, almost two and a half, that's when I decided um, to change status with the firm and to drop down, you know, below full time and to begin working from home. And that's around the same time I became pregnant with my twins. And like soon after that, I started, you know, writing, launching my writing career. And so and I continue to work from home right now. And so I see myself continuing that for a while, I'd say, not just while the kids are here, but I, it's just an arrangement that I enjoy. And it gives me time to build and create things outside of law also. And it's, a, you know, an arrangement that works with my employer too. But um, yeah, it has been many shifts and many changes and just kind of learning to roll with the punches, which was not my strong suit prior to becoming a mother. <laughs> Definitely. Well, one thing I really like about your story, too, and that's really inspiring is that you just haven't chosen one particular option, for lack of a better word, for your career or, you know, being a stay-at-home mom. At least for me, I felt like uh, you know, there was a push to say, I, I had to say like either, yes, I'm going to be full-time working mom or full-time stay-at-home mom or part-time and I can never change my mind, you know, and just that pressure is a lot. So it's so relieving just to hear how you have just, you know, just let your career evolve just based on what your needs are. So I think that that's so great. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely felt that pressure to have to have it all figured out immediately because that's, 
you know, how I've been my whole life. Like I, I want answers and I want to decide things. I want to know that the choices I'm making now are still going to be the right choices a year from now and 10 years from now. And, you know, I just over time had to come to terms with the fact that that's not how life is when you're worrying about more than one person, you know, when it's more than just you. And even when it's more than just you and your spouse, like there are just so many more factors that come into play and, I guess it's just an evolution that you experienced during your life. Definitely. Yes. Uh, So I want to switch gears to talk a little bit more about your uh, work as a working parent advocate. I know that you mentioned that you were interested in plaintiff side employment even before law school. So it sounds like the transition might've been pretty easy to becoming a working parent advocate, but I would love to hear more about how you became passionate about it and also about the work that you do in that area. Right. So I would say going into law school, I knew that I had a sense that I wanted to practice employment law. And that really came from having worked um, myself. I came, I come from like a working class family. I started working in high school. I worked as a certified nursing assistant starting from when I was 18. And, you know, anyone who's familiar with that, that's a very hands-on kind of low ranking type position where you're doing so much work and it's so important, but you don't really have a whole lot of autonomy. And that wasn't the job I expected to have my whole life, but it definitely helped form the foundation for who I was as a worker. And you know, I started that job in high school and I continued doing it for a few years, actually, while I tried to figure out what it really was that I wanted to do. And so I thought about nursing for a while and eventually I landed on law school like that really spoke to me and I decided that that's what I would do. And so I started college and then I started law school and the idea of practicing employment law was still there in the back of my mind. And it ended up being that my first a real legal job at the first internship that I had during my 1L summer was with a judge um, assisting with case draft or decision drafting, drafting opinions and cases. And the cases that I handled were employment discrimination cases and some social security disability cases. And those uh, employment discrimination cases really spoke to me. And so from there, you know, my second, third years in law school, I focus more on taking more labor and employment law classes and employment discrimination. And I held more jobs where I had responsibilities similar to what I did for the judge. And so coming out of law school, then I really had a background kind of already established. And so when I began working for Lindy, my current boss, um, she's so passionate and so good at what she does. And she really is the only attorney in Western New York where we practice who represents only plaintiffs. And she's been doing it since the early 2000s. And she's like really a trailblazer and just ahead of her time. And so I learned just so much from her and that passion was just further ignited. And so some of my first earliest cases as a lawyer were representing pregnant moms who had been fired or they hadn't been accommodated um, in relation to uh, pregnancy-related medical conditions, or they were denied the um, right to pump in privacy upon returning to work. And so that was all even before I became a mother. So before I became a mom, I was kind of integrated into this motherhood experience, and I got to see the challenges other women were facing in the workplace. And so 
when I became a mom, it was like I was a part of the sisterhood. And, you know, it just kind of all wrapped up and just <laughs> kind of inspired me to just continue on the path of helping parents, you know, working parents and working um, all parents, all, you know, everybody, because at different points of our lives, we're all going to have these different titles. And regardless of whether you're in the workforce or not, these matters still affect you. But for, you know, people who are at work and raising families, I really found um, just a great way to get involved in helping them, I guess I would say. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm always so shocked how many moms and dads, you know, allow certain things to happen to themselves, you know, or their wives in the workplace and, and how much misinformation is out there, too. I'm just I'm just always so shocked whenever I hear stories. Uh, so I was wondering, since you do have that experience, if you could just generally talk a little bit about what the rights are of women in the workplace in terms of, um, you know, just at the federal level in terms of uh, maternity leave and pumping and uh, maybe just generally speak about some of the most common cases that you've seen. Right. So uh, women... In general, so women are a protected class and men under Title VII. Um, you can't discriminate against a person, an individual based on their sex or gender. And so where that affects women is, you know, frequently women face discrimination. There's a bias against women. Uh, employers believe that they may not last in the workforce as long as men, that they may not do as good a job. There's this um, bias against moms. And the way that affects all women is that regardless of whether you plan on becoming a mother or not, uh, people who have, you know, who share this bias, they will hold it against you regardless of what your plans are. So employers under the law, they're not supposed to make employment decisions based on your pregnancy or your sex or your family, you know, your family plans, whether you have children, you know, employers shouldn't be asking in interviews, whether you have a family or who watches your kids or if you plan to become pregnant or what you're going to do if your kids are sick. And so things related to sex, pregnancy, family status, those are the, and, and there's a whole world of other things, but, you know, just in this specific area, you know, those are the types of things that are protected. Um, for working moms. And so there's, you know, Title VII, which is um, where the Pregnancy Discrimination Act falls. States have protections also, which may vary, but they um, will like not be stricter than federal law. They can be more generous, though. And then there's also um, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which uh, is what um, grants mothers their right to pump at work. Um, in addition to that, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act also um, requires employers give nursing employees the same freedom to address lactation-related needs as they would give to other employees with um, medical conditions. So, for example, if an, an employer allows, say, a man to modify their schedule to attend a doctor's appointment or give them an alternative assignment um, related to a, to a sickness and illness, then they too should grant breaks to um, mothers who need to, um, you know, uh, pump at work. And so, um, 
Sorry. I'm like think, trying to make sure I'm covering everything here. But um, yeah, so in general, um, you know, you have the Fair Labor Standards Act, you have Title VII, you have the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, which falls under Title VII, you have state laws that support. And so, you know, all of these protections, they, they're not granted to everybody, I guess I would say. Um, say, for, for example, under the Fair Labor Standards Act, it applies to non-exempt workers. And so if a certain, if someone isn't protected under one law, that does not mean that they're not protected under another. So I guess I would say that it's always important to consult, um, the laws in your state and consult federal law and to know, like, what your status is as an employee to know whether you are currently covered. I feel like a lot of employers, too, tend to be ignorant when it comes to these things. So I don't think it's necessarily malicious. They just don't really understand. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I see that a lot, too. And, you know, the weird that the weird, the weirdest, the weird thing is, you know, it's kind of hard for some employers to really understand like what they have to do, and so because um, it, there are differences between what's available federally and what's in, available by state. Like for example, New York's laws are a bit more generous than what's covered under the Fair Labor Standards Act. So under the Fair Labor Standards Act, um, women are given. Um, they have the right to pump for up to a year after birth, and it only applies to those, you know, employees covered under the Fair Labor Standards Act. But in New York, they have up to three years, and all employers have to, you know, grant this accommodation, regardless of whether they're protected, um, whether they're exempt or non-exempt. So it's, I guess, you know, that's where they would struggle to to understand what they should um, be giving to their employees, but it's you know always important to know both the state and federal uh, laws, and hopefully they have people, uh, lawyers, who are um, advising them who also understand, and I feel like a lot of people kind of have, uh, like the bias that we're talking about, you know, so hopefully the people advising them don't also share a bias if the employer themselves have a bias. Right, yeah, and it's if women, let's just say hypothetically, and I know this isn't advice, but I think a lot of women that I've talked to, they just don't know what to do. You know, if they're in that kind of situation, is the best thing just to talk to your boss and say, hey, you know, this is going on, or I think we should be doing this, or I guess what what's the most benign way to approach that kind of situation? Yeah, I would say just always speaking to your boss. If you have an HR, I know not every uh, a company or you know place of employment has a human resources department but if you have a human resources department definitely utilize them i feel like they're kind of underutilized people don't really realize how important human resources are when it comes to navigating these types of issues and if you are at a loss because your employer is not supportive at all and you can't find that support elsewhere in the company um you know there's the department of labor Every state also, I believe, has, you know, a Department of Labor separate from the federal department. So I would say, like, don't be afraid to look these numbers up and give um, calls, not necessarily to report, but, you know, to ask your questions, to receive guidance about where you can find certain types of information. 
And on top of that, I would say there's really great resources online. The UC set, um, the University of California at Hastings has a really great resource called Pregnant at Work. And there you can find information not only on federal law, but they link to information for every state as well. And so there's lots of great resources there, both for during pregnancy and after. And um, A Better Balance, which is located in New York, it has a lot of great information, too. Um, some of it's applicable in only New York State, but they also have guides for every state. So I would say, you know, do some searching online. The EEOC, that's another agency. These places aren't always going to be perfectly helpful, I would say, just from my own experience as a lawyer talking to people. But they are places to get information. Like, I don't think anyone should ever feel lost, like they have nowhere to turn. You should always be aware of the state and federal agencies that are essentially in place to help you. So I guess that's my little spiel about that. (laughs) Those are great resources. Thanks for sharing those. Um, I would love to switch now to talk more about you as a mom. You said that you are a mother to three children, uh, including twins. So I would like to know how is how is parenting twins like? I know I see some of your memes that you share on social media, and I just find them so hilarious. But I would just love to hear more about it. So it's definitely a very wild, chaotic um, journey that we're currently on. (laughs) We had our first son in 2015, and then our twins were born in 2018. And, you know, we had no reason to believe we'd be expecting twins um, the second time around. So, you know, but we were, and we did, and <laughs> and we prepared for that. And, you know, right now, the my oldest is four and a half, and the twins are one and a half. And it, I, you know, one of my recent memes, I wrote that it's having three kids, it's like watching three different TV shows and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, trying to keep up. <laughs> and it's like, the thing that inspired that is just like, my son was, you know, rammed, he was rambling, like he talks and, you know, I, I respect the words, you know, his conversation. But in that moment, he was just like, blah, 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 like not even saying words and just rambling and saying a million things a minute. And then my other, my, one of my twins was saying something, you know, baby talk and crying. And then the other one was doing a whole other thing. And it was just like, what is going on here? I can't even figure it out what's happening right now. And so it's, you know, there's just oh so many goodness. different needs. I'm sure any parent who has multiple children I can understand it's um yeah many needs um that never end ever (laughs) day night (laughs) so it's it's wild yeah (laughs) that's so crazy I just have one who's just turned 21 months so gosh I can't even imagine it's crazy just with her so I can't imagine having three but that sounds pretty fun too yeah Uh, it's it's sweet, but yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to ask now a question that everyone always asks is, is there such thing as balancing a career with kids? I've heard, I've seen you talk a lot about this online and read so many of your articles on it. Yeah, And I think you wrote one recently that was talking about, it was a badass parent meme that went viral And just basically, and I've seen it on social media too, just everyone saying, you know, you can do it or you can have it all. And everyone has their different mantra, but I really loved your take on it. So I would love you to share that. 
Right. So, so I can't take full credit for creating this viewpoint. Uh, it was essentially a commentary on an article that Sharon Proudfoot had wrote for, she's an, an, a writer. Um, she wrote for the Canadian press, um, McLean's, I believe. And, and I think she wrote her article in 2018. So the thing I wrote, um, the article I wrote initially for Fairy God Boss, which I republished on my blog was, um, it, it tackled this idea of this, quote unquote, badass working parent meme. And instead of essentially glorifying it, um, it kind of criticized, you know, her, um, the original writer's uh, viewpoint kind of criticized this meme. And in reading her article, I, you know, I, I did agree with her. I, I, I definitely support the idea of parents having careers, you know, whether you're a mom or a dad and, doing all of these awesome things, juggling home and hobbies and killing it at work. Like, I think everybody should be able to do that. The problem is, though, that not everybody can do that. And there's not enough institutional support in place for people to do that, especially in the United States. So the thing about this um, badass working parent meme that essentially says, you know, you should be out there with your baby standing at a podium, delivering, you know, speeches and, you know, with a frying pan in the other hand and <laughs> frying up an egg and, you know, doing everything at once. It's like, it really shouldn't be that way. Like people shouldn't have to do all of these things at once. There should be more support in place for women, you know, during pregnancy. There should be longer parental leave. There should be any parental leave, you know, honestly, like there's no... <laughs> uniform federal policy for for um, maternity leave in the United States. And so there's all of these missing pieces that should be in place to support not just working parents, but people like these are, just, you know, we're all people. And so there's this kind of dehumanizing element that comes from kind of glorifying this image of this person who has no limits and they can just go, 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 do everything by themselves, when in reality, there really should be a little bit more to help them. And the other um, side of this this story, which the initial uh, writer um, covered so well, is that this idea of, you know, taking your baby to the boardroom and it just combining your professional and personal lives so seamlessly is that it's not available to everybody. Um, you're not going to see low wage workers glorified in the same manner as you do, you know, a member of Congress, for instance. And so in addition to, you know, it being a kind of unattainable standard, it's essentially um, the image only really is beneficial to people with privilege. And it's also something that's available only to, you know, certain types of people, essentially. And one of the things, um, one of the pieces I linked to in the article that I wrote, um, you know, discussing this opinion was that uh, was a piece from, it was a news story from 2017 and it was local. It was from the next city over where a family, an immigrant family, um, a mom and dad who worked in a mall, I think doing maintenance, they, um, their babysitter had canceled. So they had to bring their kids to work. And so they they sat their kids on a bench, which I'm not saying that was a great idea, but that they did what they had to do what they felt they had to do in that moment, not having a babysitter, having to show up to work, being new to the country, new to their jobs. And they ended up being arrested. I and I believe the charges were child endangerment and, you know, child um, perhaps negligence. 
And so, um, so, you know, right there, it's like, that's a glaring example of how this idea of just doing it all and bringing the kids to work and being praised for handling it all so brilliantly is just, it's, it's not attainable for some people. And so I really agreed with um, the writer's assessment who, you know, called out the issues with this meme, this you know, idea of the parent who can do it all. And I absolutely agree that we should all do the things that we want to do and we should all dream big and do it with our kids and, you know, not let being a parent hold us back from our dreams. But at the same time, I think it's really important to look at the problems that exist in society that make it a requirement for some people to really have to try to do it on, you know, all by themselves. I really like that perspective so much and something that I've thought about too. And that's one reason why I always feel uncomfortable sharing on social media or even just in real life talking about, oh, look at, I, I can do it all. I'm an attorney and I'm a mom and all that because I can already tell that if I, you know, was earning minimum wage, as you said, like that different scenario and, you know, if I was in that a different, completely different circumstance, I definitely couldn't do it all because childcare is so expensive. And just as you were saying with that support system, if, if you don't have the support, like I'm very lucky to have family who helps me, then I, I definitely couldn't do what, what I'm doing right now. Um, and, and, and something else that I've thought of too, when you're talking about the support in society that, I don't know why it is in America that we just have this culture of not really thinking that we need to give support to parents and moms. Uh, you know, I just recently learned that even in Asia, they they give so much support in some Asian countries to brand new moms that they uh, all the female family members will come and live with a new mom for about a month and basically like do all the housework and stuff so the mom can rest for the first month. And I just, I thought that was so inspiring and, you know, just so supportive, just even outside of laws, you know, just this, the culture. So I don't really know why, why we have that individualistic, (laughs) no support culture in America. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, I've, I've definitely heard similar, you know, stories, um, you know, of other cultures. And I think part of what the issue is in the U.S. is that we have this idea of the American dream. And it's like, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. And, you know, you could be born on the streets and you could become, you know, president of the United States. And it's like, sure, you know, you can, and some people do. And even still, there are outliers who succeed just so much beyond what we would ever expect. But that doesn't mean that there aren't institutional limitations and that there are many groups of people who continue to suffer because of this um, just routinized, um, I'm sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Just these long-term, long-standing institutional problems. Right. Yeah. And we're all human too. We still have that human element. So we need the the humanity aspect of being supported too. Right. Yeah. We all need that. And I feel like there's, there's nothing wrong with admitting that or asking that. <laughs> like there's definitely this sense of, 
you know, we sh- everyone should be out for themselves. And if I had a difficult time, you should have a difficult time too. And that's just the wrong way of looking at it. It's, you know, that's just, that's not helpful to anybody. I agree. Yes. That's, that's a much more balanced view, what, what you articulated though. So thanks for sharing that. Well, in closing, I'd just like to ask the question that we ask every mom on every episode um, and that is ties into our motto of there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. So I was wondering if you had any particular examples of a time when you realized it's okay that you don't have to be perfect and it's okay to be good instead. Right. Yeah, I would say definitely going through my twin pregnancy, that was a lesson for me in being less than perfect. Because before that, I was still, you know, pre-kid me in a way where everything had to be perfect all the time. My floors could never have a speck of dust on them. I, you know, (laughs) I needed to just always be doing everything perfectly with respect to activities and what we're eating at home and just nonstop you know, perfect, perfect, perfect. Not that everything, you know, not that it was perfect or not that I thought I was perfect, but just that I constantly had these incredibly high standards that I had to meet all the time. And being pregnant with my twins really had grounded me. It brought me down to earth, like in a big way, because I had, I wouldn't say it was hard pregnancy. Like I didn't suffer any big complications, but it was a very demanding. Well, early on it was like, I actually, I did have hyperemesis early on. So I was very sick and I couldn't do much. And then as the pregnancy progressed and that went away, I just became like very big, very fast, (laughs) very sore. And, you know, having a toddler at the time, it was just impossible to keep up even with, you know, the help from my husband. And so just over time, I needed to adapt. And I would say that that was a really good thing because when the twins came along, there was no room for perfection. (laughs) So, and we're still happy and we're here and we're doing well. And, you know, nothing bad has happened because of, you know, there being dust on the floors or the laundry going unfolded an extra day or, eating chicken nuggets for dinner like it's okay and you know even still I'm still a perfectionist and I don't like saying those things even it's it's really funny like I still struggle with that but it's something I'm learning every day to be more okay with and I think it's making me a better person so (laughs) awesome yeah thanks for sharing that I know I feel like everyone has that period when they become a parent for the first time and you just learn you just have to let some things go because they're aren't enough hours in the day and you have to stay, stay sane. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and I definitely appreciate that a lot more now, Um, you know, survival and sanity as opposed to having everything need to be perfect. Like I, it didn't really, I didn't really get it as much when I just had my, when I had my first son, but having the twins definitely uh, reinforced that for me. Yeah, well, thanks so much for coming on our show and sharing your wisdom and knowledge and your experience of motherhood. Uh, Would you like to share where people can find your blog and your um, social media account online? Yeah, so my blog is www.themomatlaw.com. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest as um, the mom at law at the mom at law. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And I highly recommend to all of our listeners to go give her a follow. If you want to have some laughs in your feet every day, because I know that I always laugh when I come across your posts. So (laughs) thank you so much again for being on the show. Well, this is really great. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate it.